Ray, how's it going? I'm good, bro. It's good to see you. I came, I came, I missed out on the party on Friday because I'm a loser and I fell asleep. Uh, it was a long day. And one of the ones where I woke up in my bed with the lights on and my clothes on top of the sheets at like 2 a.m. So I missed the party on Friday. And then that I was came. a good shout on Friday, man. Uh, it was all a little bit last minute, uh, me coming over. But it was, um, yeah, it was great. It was great to be back in Toronto. You know, we've got a lot of love for this place, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. We've been doing our, 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 our shit here for the last, wow, like 30 years, man. Close to? Close to? I mean, I remember, I actually remember the first time I saw you here, which was 96. I actually remember that part. It was Utopia. It was you and Nikki Black Market and Darren J. And I think maybe Stevie was there. I can't, that part I don't remember, but I, we'll talk about it later because even, there's even tunes you played that night that I remember, that I heard for the first time you playing. Well, listen, if you're going down a memory road thing, my fucking memory is shot to pieces. I don't smoke anymore. Right. Uh, so some of the stuff I remember and some of the stuff was a cloud of smoke. You know? Well, we'll see how it goes. If it's patchy, it's patchy. We'll fill in the blanks and make up our own, you know what I mean? But... Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I was upset that I missed it on Friday. And then I came to Coda, and I thought I was going to check you there. And I think I just missed you. Someone said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah Ray just left." <laughs> I was like, "All right." But then I come. I see. I went and caught you yesterday at church, and it was funny because system was playing, and I saw oh, there's Ray. So I went around the back to say hello to you. But you know, it's pitch black in there. So I said hello to you, and you thought I was like a rave or something. You didn't yeah, recognize yeah, me at yeah, first. Yeah. So I, I took an L, a hard L. I sat there. I got buoyed off by Ray, and I'm standing there. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to give him his space. And I walked away, and I said, I'll just check him later when the lights are come on. And then I came and checked you. And yeah, then and then, then I recognized yeah. you straight no, away. I, was, it, I wasn't Don't mad. It's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, no. You know what? That club's a dark club. It's hard to Yeah. It was funny. I was like, I just took a hard L right now. It was funny. I got buoyed off by Ray Keith. <laughs> but yeah man no it's good to see you again it's been a while uh you were staying here four or five years ago but i actually don't remember i don't know where i was that day who knows i can't remember i can't remember I played now yeah it was okay it wasn't one of the best parties yeah I, I can't i'm trying to remember the last time i saw you it was i'm thinking i don't even know a good 10 years good 10 years and it's been the last time i went to england was 2005 so it's been a long time since i even seen you there but anyway we're here now bro so it's all good it's good to see you it's a pleasure sir Absolute legend in the game for those who are maybe new to the music. Uh, you know, this is this guy is one of the foundation guys. We're not just saying that because he's here. It's it's facts. There's there's the you know there's the ten fifteen guys that hold up the whole the, the hold up the bricks. You know what I mean from the ground up and raise one of those guys. So Thank we, you very we have, much. We have to facts are facts. So we have to give the man his respect. He's earned it. Uh, let's just get right into it, bro. Let's get right into it. Um. Obviously, I know, listen, you've been DJing for a long time now, good 30 years or so. Take me back to the beginning, right? When you were growing up, what, what was it that, what musically caught your attention, so to speak, and what made you think, you know, this is what I, music is where I want to go, I want to DJ, I want to play music? I think for all of us, it was, an, uh, um, it, it was a way of expressing ourselves in a very um, fucked up, depressive upbringing it was hard you know what i mean it wasn't easy we're, we're talking about the the 80s and in, 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 yeah, in, and I've, um, I've heard lots about that being colored or being black or being asian or being of color um was was a setback you know our mums and our dads came to this came to england and they had uh, and they were the people that were doing the shit jobs you know and they they rose from the ashes. They 
Um, you know, like when I walk the streets now, um, I'm proud to be British. I was born in England, but my mum, our mums and dads set that pave and put that foundation for us. They came into a foreign country, uh, you know, and it was hard. You know, like you, you, you think about 50 years ago and the sign on the fucking... On, the, on, on, on some of the buildings was, you know, no, no dogs, no blacks, no Irish. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's what they were up against. Um, and and we're, so we're the second generation of, of, um, of, of, of England's multicultural uh, society. And, uh, and we're proud. Do you know what I mean? We, we help paved uh, a lot of different things. And, and especially in the music scene, uh, one of the good things about it was that it brought the black and white culture together. And that's where Jungle, um, we were at the right place at the right time. We were part of a, a musical revolution. And we're, we're lucky because we've seen, in my lifetime, I've seen probably five or six different types of generations of music. You know, if you go back uh, and, and you look at the Beatles and that was, that was huge. And then you, you, you had like, you know, like punk rock. Um, and then you had, uh, you know, the, the, the heavy metal aspects and then you had hit the hip hop aspect and then you had the fucking dance aspect and then you had the electronic yeah. aspect when you look at this journey and you just think fuck you know like in a short space of 30, 40 years you just see shit change do you know what I mean but you you need to be able to adapt but yeah for, I think it was a, it was a it was an escapism and it was a way of, of freeing our souls to try and make it a better place for us. So you, when you first started actually, you know, buying music, DJ, and we're talking like soul music, funk, and rare groups. Yeah. Um, well, the first record I bought, I think the first seven inches I bought was "Message in the Bottle" by um, Police, and okay. I think I bought an ACDC. You shook me all night long. But I was getting records from my dad. My dad had an, uh, bought me a radiogram, and they had lots of like. Um, you know, rock, you know, the Beatles, Elvis, Diana Ross, um, even my mum's records, I've still got them in my house, they're all seven inches, and they just listened to, from anything from Anita Ward uh, to, 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 to the Jacksons um, to, to disco, you know, like Boney M, so it was yeah. very eclectic. For you, though, what, was, what tune or era or set of tracks made you think, yeah, this is me, you know, this is, this is what I got to do with myself. Like, every, I'm doing, obviously, you, you know about my Blueprint shows and in London yeah. on Radar. I've got to big up my Radar family. Um, I think what, that it, what it was is everyone's kind of had a similar journey and listened to similar tunes, but it's all about the timing. So, you know, there was, there was lots of times where I listened to music like a lot of people, I was recording um, and I was listening to Radio Caroline. Um, I was listening to Radio 1 on a Sunday and listened to what the, the pop charts had. I was watching Top of the Pops because that, um, that was your only outlet. I was watching Soul Train and I kind of fell in love with black music, you know, soul, rare groove, jazz, but it was all types of music because you, you just looked at it and, you, and you, it fused together from 
Gary Newman to Depeche Mode to Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark to um, Shalimar and Lusains and you know it was just an amalgamation of great music great songwriting that's yeah. what we got privy to is people writing music and writing songs and that's inspired us but I think every now and again a tune came along like Craftwork or like um, Blue Monday or like um, Donna Summer I Feel Love mm. and I just thought what the fuck is this how do I make this music yeah. this, you know like with the house beat it was so different yeah. you know what I mean it was, it was like a different format so when you started actually DJing, was it at that when like playing it? Was it Acid House at that point? No, I was already playing soul and hip hop, right. and I was—I mean, I was like fucking fourteen, fifteen, and I—I was already doing school discos. Yeah, do you know what I mean? So I was playing all the pop music that was available, the soul music that was available, and and that's how I started. And I had my own decks, my own lights, so I'd turn up and I'd have I'd have all my shit. Like a proper, like a, we call it a wedding yeah. DJ. Yeah, I mean, a, trying to fit it in a car or van. Yeah. But yeah, they'd, they'd hire me out, or I would do the school discos, and uh, and my dad would 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 help me um, set up. So and I had everything set up in the garage anyway. Right. Um, so yeah. So so at this point, then you, you so you were there, you know, at the ground floor, so to speak. You remember when the house music started to come in? Yeah, I mean, one of the first um, house music tunes. Uh, Farley Jackmaster Funk you know then it was called Hip House yeah. and, and, and and it was Jack Your Body and yeah. Steve Silk Hurley and all the early all the house music stuff. yeah which was crossing over Nitro Deluxe and then you started to get deeper into it and then you started to look at people like you know all the Detroit boys um Far, you know, like from Farley Jetmaster Funk to Kevin Saunderson to Derek May, yeah. and then it was just getting deeper. You started to look for, yeah, records. yeah. Then you're you start, I started to listen uh, um, to all the radio stations like Centre Force, and um, but I was I was in Essex. Do you know what I mean? I was right. just playing, uh, but I was going to London and shopping at all the shops that all the big boys shopped at. Right. So I was going to City Sounds. I was going to Vinyl Zone. I was going to Bluebird, and um, and I was I was DJing, and then at the end of the night, like half an hour just before the night ended, one of my um, first residencies was Cinderella's. I would start playing some hip house right at the end, some acid house, That's and then it. some hip hop. So I'd start at nine o'clock yeah. and I'd finish at two o'clock. Yeah. Halfway through the fucking night, I'd stop and I'd play three slow songs yeah. and then start to play some hip hop again and and then um, and then go into acid house. By that time, all the soul heads had left, but the ravers were, were kind of there. That That's so funny you say that. Look, obviously I'm considerably younger than you not that much but I'm younger than you but I remember when I used to go to the clubs and stuff in my area it would be the same thing it would they'd be playing basically rap all night and like this freestyle and stuff like that but then right at the end of the night when the, you know the bouncers are getting the radio that's when you would hear the house and the techno yeah and you'd be like like Steve Poindexter and yeah so for me we're talking like 1990 about that, you know, I was I was in high school, like early high school, and we used to go out. But it was the same story. We used to go a club that you played at many times here. It was called the Government, but before that, it was called yeah. RPM. Okay. So we used to go on Friday nights to RPM, and there was uh, guys there, um, Matt C, and uh, Deadly Headley. They're 
sort of foundation DJs here, and they used to do that. They'd play to right, right towards the end of the night. That's when you'd get, maybe you're lucky you get a, like we're talking even into 91, 92, you get like a little prodigy or an ASIN or something, and that was like the highlight of the night for us. So it's funny that those parallels existed even over here as far as you kind of had to sneak that music into people. You know what I mean? And that was the other thing. When I was making the progression and trying to find my way into London, I knew I had to get into a record shop because then I'd get my hands on everything. I was going to ask you about this. And that was kind of what progressed it. One of my good friends, Buster Brooker, he got me a job at City Sounds, which was one of the, I suppose, one of the cornerstone foundations of underground music in London. And um, a lot of famous people came from that shop. Andy Thompson went on to work for Pete Tong at FFRR. Mm. And uh, and I used to look after everybody over there, you know, from Eddie Gordon, Jeff Young, um, Simon Dunmore, Bob Masters, um, Pete Tong, uh, Paul Oakenfold, because everyone would have to get one of every single tune that came in the shop, even Carl Cox. Everybody used to come to that shop and they used to have what we used to call cubby holes. So as soon as the record came in, it would go in their cubby hole. Yeah. Because they were all the record company guys. And then I started looking after Frost, Fab, Groove, mainly Ryder yeah. first and then Frost and then Brian and then I started to get to know everybody right. and then we were all playing house then. You know, people forget that, you know, even though we're no, known for jungle, drum and bass, we were already established house DJs. Yeah, that, exactly. I, you think, know, like, I think especially now people forget yeah, that. 88, yeah. 89, we were already resident at Astoria. Yeah. We were already playing with Paul Trouble Anderson and all the big guys, you know, they were all on the circuit. But we were the next new generation coming in. Right. So we were actually playing that music. And it's only really... 92, 93, 94, we, it all kind of split off into its own thing. So at that point now, you're playing the house, you're playing the Detroit stuff, you're playing the Chicago stuff, you're playing, I guess, I guess there was a lot of Belgium stuff around at the time. Um, what, did you sort of know where it would like did you see things going in that direction that it went or just kind of like week to week the, the music's coming in and it's changing i think we, we we naturally just wanted because we were english we wanted our own blueprint on yeah. it so we started to speed up the brakes and if you notice all our early production still had the four four in yes. but we were rolling with the brakes yeah. and really the only person to put it out on a limb very early was a guy called gerald when yeah. he did the 27-gun bad boy and yeah. his early stuff, he just started to use brakes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He was, his stuff was light years. Him and, it's him and Shut Up and Dance. Those yeah. guys were light years. So they out. started to kind of use brakes completely by themselves, quite naked. Yeah. And I think that gave everyone the confidence to just go, okay, well, we can do, kind of do the same thing. Because it was still early days for us. We hadn't quite got to grips with stuff. And then as DJs, we're like, fuck it. Let's get in the studio and make a tune. And then that was when our interpretation kind of came on it. Well, let, let's go into that. So I remember, for me, buying records, I, that's how I became Cheers, aware of you first. Cheers, by the way, first. Yes, Thank you. You need anything? Mm -mm. I'm good. The first... That I, I remember there was the Orbital remix, but I, 
I was a bit too young. I, like I, we had that cubby system in Toronto as well, but it was much more. There was the couple top guys that were the top underground guys, and there was guys like me who were basically we were kids. I was 15 years old in the record store, so we wouldn't get certain things. But I remember there was the Orbital remix. But then I remember the tune that really caught me, the first batch of stuff from you that was the Dune, the Too Much tune. On was advanced? Was that your label, Advanced? Yeah, it was. Okay, uh, let's not get it twisted though. Really and truly, Fabio and Groove Rider. Um, now looking back, 30 years. Um, if it wasn't for those two, we would be fucked because Ryder played my tune. I remember cutting it and giving it to him and that weekend he played it out and fucking smashed it. But we were taking bits of other records yeah. and, and, and making our own record. Yeah, well, so we, yeah. Uh, but that was the way. I yeah. mean, I, I think everybody was sampling because that was where it was all at it was just about sampling and taking what you thought was good um and and i did this mix and in the end pete tong rang me and he went listen uh we're gonna put it out and i was we're talking like, about the orbital mix yeah right? and i was yeah. like what the fuck like yeah and he yeah, was, like, I was gonna say to you you basically just went in the studio and sampled it and made yeah and sampled it and put it together technically by today's standards you made a bootleg yeah exactly but they actually got signed on a major yeah label, and so. and i think that was the beginning of like or validating that we could we could get involved in making d different things. And then when I did that, I was like, well, let me put out a few things myself. So I put out the June thing. I really like the piano that Mannix used. That was off of a, a track by Sterling, Sterling Void. Void. Yeah, yeah. And I loved it. it it's I, funny because Tyler, Hungry T, one of our guys here, he, his, he did his track. What's the track called? Friction on My Feet? Yeah, yeah. It was a big tune here, I think. Uh, did it come out on? Whose label did that come out on? That was on Audio Addict, I think. Yeah. Anyway, I remember he played me that tune. I go, bro, you know that's Mannix feel real good in Sterling Void. You can't just put that on it. And I was like, cussing him basically. And he was he didn't know. I think he got it off at like a sample CD or yeah. something. But it's funny, and you know, in, in the end, it all worked out. Was, the tune's great, but it's funny because it's I, you, when you look back at it now, I guess especially for you guys, because you weren't necessarily like trained musicians or anything. You were just taking your records and just oh, I like this bit, I like that bit. Well, that was the way you went in the studio. You know, yeah. you had to get your samples, you had to get your breaks, you had to get your sounds. We weren't privy to keyboards at that point, um, and you could take a sound and you could play it up and down on the keyboard. Yeah. So it was the whole sampling thing was you had to go and do your research. I was a breaks fanatic. I used a lot of breaks before anybody else you know I, I, I'm into the true. science yeah. and I would cane a break and find a new break before anybody else because I came from the hip hop days right. and my good friends were like Pogo and I'd see them cutting shit up and my good friend Bainey from Clacton on Sea I mean you know I had a lot of pe good people around me that inspired me to make and aspired me to make music and uh, and I was just interested in it. I wanted to be the first to use that break or the first to use it. I mean, when we did it with Renegade Terrorist and we did the Amon break, we chopped that shit up differently to what how um, the Amon brothers did it and also how Mantronics did it because yeah. everyone sampled my break after that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because, all right, so to give people the history, so you got the, the, the Amon and Terrorist is a very distinctive Amon, but... The original source for that was Mantronics, King of the Beast. Yeah, and yeah. before that, it was it was the Amon Brothers. Yes, obviously. But, but the way Mantronics cut it up, um, and the way we took it off of the Mantronics, and then um, and, and the way we cut it up and refined it, um, it was totally different. Yeah. 
Do you know what I mean? It was, it was almost like, I think it's like ev- everything. Everything has an evolution. You know what I mean? That tune, Terrace, I mean, look, you have, your discography is enormous. It's fair to say that's your biggest, most recognizable tune. I remember where I was when I first heard that. It was, it was, it was here, obviously. Um, do you remember Slipmaster J from Lucky Spin, Justin? Yeah. He used to come here all the time because Mr. Clint Sniper had a relationship with him. So he was one of the first guys that came here. Right in that time, Kenny, it was, well, Goldie and Fantasy came in 92. Then we, no one really came until about 94. Kenny came, and then Darren, and then Justin, I think, was the next guy who came. Anyway, so it was early 94, and he played some rave here at Cinespace. I can't even remember what rave it was, but he started with that record. And it's, you know, and I'm sure you've had this. Do we know where you are where you've heard certain tunes and you just have that moment where you're like, what the fuck is this? And that was it. I was obsessed. And obviously back then, you know, it, it was probably six months before I, the record came in the record store and I finally bought it, you know. And then by that time we were hearing it everywhere and we used to get all the AWOL tapes and the roast tapes and everything. So we knew the tune. But I remember where I was. The first person I ever heard play it was Slipmaster J. I can't remember which rave it was, but I know it was at Cinespace, which is a a venue that doesn't exist anymore is an iconic warehouse venue that we used to go to and I just remember that track and just so let's talk about Terrace was because when I look back through my record collection were you the first one to use the Kevin Saunderson Reese or was it Ryder with the with the what's it called um, Dreams of Heaven um, I, I would say it was about the same time so yeah, you guys man. made it sort of end up like not realizing that each one well, we did it. We didn't. Um, he his thing came out on Lucky Spin, yeah. And obviously, uh, I, I my one came out on Moving Shadow, yeah. And the reason why it came out on Moving Shadow was because Gavin, my engineer, he took it straight to Playford. I had two bad mice on my show a little while ago, and I didn't even know how the tune surfaced because usually they would have got to listen to it, yeah. But um, Gav went straight to Rob, and then Rob went, yeah. We need to sign this record. I mean, it's funny because when you look at movie, movie Shadow, obviously their their catalog is iconic. They have so many tracks that you could say are like some of the legitimately some of the biggest music ever made in our music. But if I look at their entire catalog, really and truly, Terrorist was maybe Terrorist and Helicopter are the two biggest tunes that ever come out on that label. I my understanding of this, so you don't have to talk about this. You know what? Because I remember you telling me some stuff about this back in the day. You, there was some type of, you had some issues with Rob Playford over this team. Yeah, I, I think it's like anything, you know. Um, it's the music business, man. Yeah. It's just people are going to fall out. People are going to have difference of opinions. Um, sometimes things are ongoing. Sometimes things get resolved. What I've learned is um, everything we do, it's a chapter. Yeah. You know what I mean? I made that track in two hours. Yeah. I made it for a double eight to play out. I wanted to do something, uh, and that was my interpretation of jungle and uh, and and dub incorporated in one. That was what I was trying to do, and it was at, at that time. You know, and, and you're going to have issues with people. I've had issues with people. I'm sure people have had issues with me. Um, and that's just how shit rolls, you know what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, I don't live in the past. Yeah. I, I embrace the past. I say, thank you very much. Um, some, you know, like, you, you make a tune and you go back to it and you just think to yourself, wow, you know, you, 
Oh, I never even expected it to last this long. And like, we're yeah. like 30 years down the road. Yeah, yeah. And it was, a, it was a time and space. And what that music meant, mean, meant to me at that point is totally different to what it means to you, what it means to you. You know, someone could have got married, met, dropped their first E. You know, someone could have broke, got be broken. Yeah. And I, I've met people that said, listen, that, that song saved my life. And I'm like, sometimes if I take all the energy on of everything that people say to me, I'm just like, what the fuck? But, you know, um, I've got to be grateful and I'm truly blessed that that track means something totally different to everybody else in their lives. At the time when I made it, uh, I, I made it, I made it so I could play out and I made it like a quick thing, two hours. I just wanted to bang something out. Yeah. And I made it that uh, a month or two before, that was in 93, right. because everybody was playing at Christmas, 94. Yeah. And then it came out in 94. Yeah. So I'd always put something out just before the new year so it'd get caned over Christmas yeah. so it would come out. So it was kind of, I had my own way of doing things. This is true because I, there's so many tunes you've had over the years because that's obviously, you have a lot of big tunes. That's just the biggest. I just, I just, you know what? It was just, you never know when you're going to write that tune but to me, I was always making, I just wanted to make people dance yeah. and I wanted to, I wanted to draw things that I, you know, because I was going out and people were drawing tunes on me. I was like, fuck this. I need to have some bullets in my, um, uh, uh, you know, Dubbed. artillery. Yeah, yeah, so I could just let off and I don't have to worry about what you've got. You're going to be worrying about what I've got. Okay, you know what? I'm going to skip a whole bunch of stuff I was going to ask you because that leads me right to, let's let's talk, let's go right to the one of my favorite, when I tried it, I was fortunate that I was had the opportunity to go to Music House a number of times. I was fortunate that Leon used to take care of me, used to send stuff back here for me. But when I try to explain to people what that place was like, one of my favorite stories to tell them, I have two favorite stories that I tell them. One of them is a story involving Christmas, which I wasn't there for, but was relayed to me by a, a number of people, which was it was a, the, probably the Thursday, I guess, before the Christmas, all the Christmas parties. And everybody tried to get to Music House early, but by the time they got there, Ryder was already in the back room with Paul and he locked the door and he was in there for eight hours or something stupid and it, it threw every, everyone was fucked because they couldn't get into the cut. There's that story. But my other story was a story that I saw firsthand. I was in Music House. I was in the front room with Leon. I was cutting whatever stupidness I was cutting that I brought there just to have an excuse to be there. And you were in the back room with Paul. I don't know what you're cutting in the back room, but somehow... Someone jumped in front of me in the queue in the front room and they were cutting a future cut thing. And you, you came from the back room and you stuck your head in and you, had, you were on your cell phone. I think you were talking to your girl or whatever. And you're on your cell phone. You had another cell phone and you said, and you're like, who is that? And you're like, oh, it's future cut. And right away you got on your other phone and you called up future cut. Yo, I need to have a piece of this. Yeah, 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 go in. So then you jumped in the front of the queue. So I'm sitting there and this one future cut tune cut like eight times before I got to go back to cutting my my little one idiot tune that I brought from Toronto to cut. <laughs> and I always tell people this story because it's it's it 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 shows what that place was like. So uh, so when you say you wanted to have something in your box that you know to well, it wasn't even that that you know Paul and Chris and Leon they're our family yeah. you know we we um we started cutting I was one of the first people to to be cutting at Music House and um I used to deal with Chris and Chris I didn't even know Leon and and Paul then and um 
and of course we have priority. Like as yeah. soon as we step in, we're just like jump. There's no queue for us. We just like <laughs> whoever's in the queue just got to the back of the queue. Listen, I, if I've got six six shoes to cut. I'm just like, yo, P, what are you saying? It's like, you're all on the man. Yeah. And, then, and that's it. We just jump in. I get my shit cut and I go. Ray, and- <laughs> I was in there one time. Yeah, I'm, sit- I'm sitting there. I came at like 10 o'clock in the morning. I had to go back to Toronto that day. So my flight was in the afternoon. So I come first thing in the morning. I'm like, okay. So I, it took me all week to like track certain guys down. So I had a co- I legitimately had a couple two in the cut and I was really excited. So I'm there waiting. Yeah. And I'm, Leon's just kind of getting in. I'm sitting there and then fucking Scotty walks in. Doc Scott walks in and he had a box of Transco blank dub plates under his arm. And I sat there and I'm like, oh fuck, it's over now. He was cutting for hours, but I got to hear everything he was cutting. So it was amazing. But when you say that you were, you know, trying to get stuff in your box to, to, to be, have bullets essentially that just reminds me of that let let me ask you a question in the height of that all let's say i don't know 97 98 whenever you would determine to be the the busiest times at music house how much were you spending a week on dubs (sighs) how much like an average week how many dubs were you cutting oh uh, it, it would be hundreds Obviously, it would pounds. depend on certain... Yeah, it'd be yeah. hundreds of pounds. I mean, we were getting... I think we'd, they'd let us cut something like... If we had our own, it'd be like a tenner a side or something. So it'd be 20 quid. Um, Is that what you guys are paying? See, maybe I, I, maybe I if you had our own price. dubs. I can't remember specifically. But, you I know, like, you I, had, I had a bill there. Yeah. I had a tab. Yeah. So I was like, I'd just pay Chris at the end of the month yeah. or I'd just be paying cash. And it would be... But the thing about it is we didn't give a shit about that. It wasn't yeah, about no. the money. It was, it was about, right. you know, you had your shit to play out. It was your tools. It's, it's like, you know, if you're a fucking bricklayer, you ain't going to lay no bricks if you ain't got no cement and no fucking bricks. Do you know what Absolutely. I mean? So if you're going out to play, you need your shit, you know. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. One time I got, I went to go and pick up some dubs. I'm in the fucking dance and I'm playing the shit and I'm thinking, what the fuck? Some reggae tune, another reggae tune, and another reggae tune. I'm like, but I've never cut this. And I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, fuck, you know what? Next day I get a call. Ray, it's Rodigan. You got my dubs, man. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? He's like, I gotta go to Jamaica to a clash or New York, and I need that shit. He sent a bike to my house, and that's the other thing. That's what we used to do. We used to send bikes with dats, you know, like they they drop the dat off. Sometimes even wait and then bring back the the plate as well. Um, and it was a great time, you know, and Rodigan was like, listen, I need them things, man. I'm going to Jamaica. So he sent it. Actually, I was at Kiss. And I think he was um, he was at Kiss and I was at my flat. And they he sent a bike over and I biked them back. Um, but Rodigan is a good friend of mine. And we were all on Kiss together, like Steve Jackson. And it was a great time. You know, all the, all the garage boys were together. And and it was just a great time for music, you know. And a lot of things crossed over then, you know, like and that like you said, it was a good education to even be there to oh, be listening to the music. I'm so you grateful know, I had those opportunities. You know, yeah. and, and Leon, Chris, Paul, Foundation, and they love you know, like they're like family to us. And we would spend a huge amount of time with them. Yeah. You know, we would talk I remember one time I was in there and they would all laugh. They was pissing themselves laughing because there was it was a really hot summer's fucking day, right? And now, just like that bottle there, it was like an Evian bottle, but a big one, and there was about that much 
uh, what I thought was uh, water, and it was fucking rum. Right? <laughs> so I said, P, what's, let, can I have the rest of that water? Because we used to eat cream, cream crackers, but they were really dry, yeah. and you just wouldn't have no butter on them or anything, but you just whack a couple of crackers and have some water. So I fucking downed this drink, and then suddenly my throat was burning, and my fucking chest was burning, and I was like, what the fuck is this? And Paul and Chris and Leon were all laughing because it was Jamaican rum. <laughs> and I was like, fucking hell, because I... I was known for not drinking. Yeah. I wasn't really a big smoker. Ryder gave me my first spliff and I ended up on the wrong fucking train <laughs> on the wrong way home and I had to pay for a cab uh, to go home because he dropped me off at the station once. He said, yeah, I'll give you a little... He goes, yeah, have a smoke on this. And I smoked this spliff and I was fucked. That was the first time I think I ever had a spliff and I fell asleep on the train and um, that was another story. But... What I'm saying is there was just great moments. We were all young. We were all growing up. These big fucking phones, you know what I mean, that we had that looked like bricks. Yeah. You know, we, we, we were driving around, you know, rolling spliffs, playing out. It was just a fucking an amazing time. It was an amazing time. You know what I mean? It, it, it was, I was privileged to be there. I really was. It was hilarious. It was hilarious seeing all these stories, like, firsthand. Um, let's go back to... When I first really, really became aware of you, because obviously, you know, we're over here. We didn't have the internet. We did, all we had was, we had our AWOL tapes, our roast tapes. Sometimes we get a cool FM tape. And then later on, we'd get like Atmosphere Magazine and stuff like that. But really, all we really had was the tapes. And then you, you'd go to the record store and that tape, that, that, so, that track that you heard on a Groove Rider tape or a Randall tape for six months, all of a sudden would appear on the decks in front of you. So I remember, I want to say like between say 93 and 96, I felt like every week, I was coming home from the record store with a Ray Keith remix. I want, it, it, it's fair to say you were the undisputed remix king at that point. I think yeah. those were the golden years. I just, um, everything we touched turned to gold and it was just, I kind of made my name out of doing remixes. I feel like for me, like that's how I became aware of you. Yeah, and, I, and it was a great time. You know, like I fucking had, I had a ball, do you know what I mean? I was just like making lots of music uh, and, and um, remixing lots of stuff and because I was in the shop and it just one thing led off to another and they were selling well. Yeah. I mean, we were selling shitloads, you know. Mm. And um, yeah, I suppose that's how I learnt my craft. And then in the end, I thought, hang on a minute, I need to make some tracks now. Yeah. So, you know... I set up the label with Phil, Phil from Basement, um, and and really that didn't look back after that because that's I think ninety four and ninety five was when I set up Dread Recordings with him, and then I think we had a few releases straight after. I think I had three or four, or five, one after the other, after doing so many remixes, and then started to get into to, to becoming an artist. I suppose it's you know it's true because I, I as an avid record buyer at that point. I mean, I was basically an up-and-coming DJ. I used to play first or last or whatever at the raves here. But I remember that when Dread first came out, it was a moment because every tune was a, like, you had Yes, Yes, you had Nina's Rinse, you had uh, Sing Time. These were legitimate anthems, like dub plate anthems. And they were coming in one afternoon. You're like, hold, oh, Ray's, Ray's just killing it right now. And you'd hear sets. And I remember I, I, at that period of time, it, it's... It's funny because it would be like, it was almost like you would sort of, whatever was the big 
sound at that time, you would have your sort of version of it. Yeah. You would sample the same stuff. And has anyone ever, like, okay, a funny story. So, not a, sort of a music house related story. One of my absolute closest, like, brethren's brethren's close friends in, in the UK is Clayton from Hardware. And uh, he had a tune on Trouble on Vinyl called Mode One, but he sampled the Steve Austin um, Six Million Dollar Man. And Mickey had a tune in like 92, which I think it was called She's Breaking Up, that had the same sample. And they had proper fell out over this. Like Mickey accused him of stealing a sample. And, you know, it's like two bulls, but you know them both. They're two bulls pushing together. No one, neither of them was going to back down. So they, to this day, I don't think they've ever spoken to each other. Did anyone ever come at you gunning, oh, Ray, how come you use this or sample or that sample? Did you ever, did you ever find yourself in a situation where... Everyone was questioning anything you made. I didn't give a fuck. I know you didn't give a fuck. That's the beauty of it. Because you sampled it as well. Yeah, yeah. So if you're sampling it, I'm sampling it. You don't own that. Yeah. Not unless you cleared that shit. Yeah. I think Mickey cleared the sample. Is so I think that's works? the yeah. difference. Right. So I don't think you can go and take someone's shit if they paid for it. Right. Um, and I think that's the difference. Yeah. Is like they cleared that sample because that. And let's face it, you know, like Mickey's an Mickey was an iconic producer and and the. DJ. He was one of the first DJs to, 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 to break the north. Um, and, you know, you've got to give respect where respect is due. You know, Ryder, um, Fabio, Mickey, Fantasy, Seduction, Cole Cox, Top Buzz. Um, they were one of the first big DJs to pave the way for the rest of us. Mm. You know what I mean? They, they were tried and tested. And if you look at all the early raves, they were the ones that were on the early raves. Um, but yeah, you know, like sampling, sampling, man. But the thing about it is, if you're going to take something, then fucking twist it out. Which you legitimately did. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if I'm going to take something, I'm going to bend it out. Yeah. And I'm going to make it better than what it was. I think I don't think you could just take it and not do, do something with it. And, um, you know, I get kids now and, and young producers remixing my shit. I just embrace it, man, because I had my time. It's their time now. You know, look at Blade Runner. Yeah. You know, he's had a, a, a fantastic um, career. Look at Serum. All of these guys, you know, and, and it, it's not like they just came fucking yesterday. They've been in the scene for 10 years, 15 years now. They've done the hard work, and that shows you that if you put hard work in, you're going to get something out of the bottom. All these here today has gone tomorrow's. That's, that, that's not going to stand the test of time. Absolutely. Uh, and I think if you believe in what you do and you keep working towards that, you're, you're going to see the results. One of my favorite stories that you personally told me, um, I can't, was probably in Toronto at some point. You told me a story, we're going back now, probably to, probably like the 92, 93 era, when you, right when you sort of started producing. I, I don't know if it was an original track or a remix, but you told me a story where, it was, I guess it was Nookie, you basically did a remix over the phone. Like Nookie was engineering. Oh no, that was my good friend, um, uh, Oh shit! On Hum Recordings, there was a guy called. Oh, fuck, man! They're gonna kill me. They did genocide too. Um, what Austin? No, not, not um, genocide too. I know you man. worked with Austin as well in the beginning. Yeah, I worked with Austin. Yeah, but they did genocide too. Come on, someone Google that genocide too. Uh, they're gonna kill me. Um, and they did that tune with the Eurythmics as well, Sweet Dreams. They sampled it. I remember Genocide 2. Right. But I so, so the guy from Genocide 2, I made the EP with on Hum Records. And I did that over the phone. 
Yeah. <laughs> so we were on the phone and he was asking me what samples to use. And he was actually in the studio and I could hear it. Yeah. And we made one of the last tracks on the phone. Hilarious. That's a bit fucking crazy. Hilarious. Yeah. So, to, okay. So you've had a long relationship with, obviously, Nookie was your main engineer. But you were also, I remember in the beginning, like, especially the advanced stuff, the Dune and all that. You did that with Yeah, Aston. I did that with Aston. Um, so I did... Um, Aston was one of my first engineers. There was another guy called Michael from Noisegate Studios. Uh, Lemon D, Dillinger. Which ones did Lemon and Dillinger do? Uh, some real, really early shit. There was two, two guys in Genocide 2. And one of the guys used to have a, a crazy hairdo and he's going to fucking kill me. Yeah, I mean, um, I can't... Uh, well, Lemon D engineered uh, Dark Soldier. Did he? Okay. Yeah, and he did um, Chopper. The you know it's, it's, it's but the thing about it is we got so stoned that the electricity ran out <laughs> and and we lost all the samples and we had to redo the whole thing at six o'clock in the morning so i don't know if the originals would have ever been <laughs> you're kidding me you no know, seriously because we were fucking both out of our nut and we'd just <laughs> eaten a load of chocolate and then it all went dark and and we didn't say anything for a minute and then i just said to lemon Kev, what the fuck's going on, man? And he went, man, the fucking meter's run out. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I went, did you save the samples? And he went, no, I saved the samples, but I didn't save the arrangement. I'm like, what the fuck? So we had to go back to the shop, buy the electricity, come back, roll another spliff and start again at uh, six o'clock in the morning. I think we were done by 11. That's um, amazing. Because we kind of recreated it straight away. That, you know what's amazing? That's See, a great story. That's a great story. And what, what I love about that is because uh, this is the first I ever heard of this. I, I always just assumed that it was Nookie. But now when I listen to the, those two records in particular, they do have a different sound than the stuff you're doing with Nookie. And when you think about it, it does. Dark Soldier has elements of uh, Lemon D's um, kit. That yeah, you were hearing. I'm not saying he, it's your track, but I'm saying yeah, you know it was just saying? my interpretation through yeah. somebody else. Yeah, but I think, and even with Gavin, like Gavin's very musical. Even Lemon D's very musical. Absolutely, and I I seem to bond with the attraction of their smoothness and my dark and lightness. So, um, and that's how that track came about because I, when I played them at AWOL they just fucking both popped off like straight away yeah. I was like fuck this is wicked um, and Kevin I mean we're very very good friends it's deep and, and we've known each other a long time and well, you put out there was you put uh, in sync was Lemon D on yeah, Dread, right? Yeah, yeah. and um, the specialist was Dillinger, so I oh, couldn't right, okay. I couldn't yeah, yeah. put stuff out by their names because they were signed. But I, yeah. you know, like, and back in those days, we were just buying the records. Like, if they needed some cash, we'd give them the cash, and then yeah. they'd sell the record to us. And that's just how it was. That's how I used to do it with Brian. Yeah, I was like, I need some fucking cash, B. Here's some fucking tracks, <laughs> and that's how it was. Like the chronic <laughs> ones. When I did the chronic ones, I was just like, and then he'd turn up at Black Market with a whole heap of cash for me. I was like, yeah, wicked. Uh, <laughs> same time, same place next week. Yeah, yeah. I'd have another one for him. Well, that's, so okay, that's so just how chronic it worked, you, you know. That, that's how we were living. We were living in the fast lane. And it's, and it's funny because when I, the first year I started my um, radar show, obviously Dizzy Rascal uh, came on the show and yeah. he was a big fan of the Chronic Tunes and he DM'd me one day. I was at home and I said to my daughter, I think Dizzy Rascal just DM'd me and she went, yeah. what 
what the fuck? And I was like, yeah. And he sent me a picture of the Chronic tunes. When I didn't, I never knew that you'd done these tracks. And then he actually we're talking came, about Chronic Seven, which was the jump around, and Chronic Eight, eight which was the yeah. special technique. I think special it was called technique. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. when he came on the show, it was just nice to. Because we didn't realise what we were doing then, you know, like there was no internet. Yeah. There were, you know, it was just about, like you said, you'd go to the record shop and, and you remember, I mean, I met a lot of people last night that came up to me that went, hey Ray, I've got a whole heap of your records, you know. Yeah. And it's nice, you know, it's like, I still press records now, I still make records now and I think that's still important. That's We're not selling as much as we used to, but it's not even about that anymore. It's just about having that physical record in your hand. Well, obviously... We should talk about your history. I mean, your history in record shops is well done. So you, there was City Sounds first, and you have a, that famous story that they sacked you on, on Christmas. Yeah, Day. they sacked me at Christmas. Why did they fire you exactly? You um, they took. I was at the Christmas party, and no one, and the big boss didn't talk to me. And then the next day, they said to me, "You're going on a course." I went to the office, and they went, "Ray." got to let you go and I was like what the fuck week before Christmas I was devastated I got out of there I remember phoning my dad and my dad went the best way to beat them is in their pocket so take all their clients with them because I was livid yeah. you know and I phoned Groove and he was like what the fuck and soon and the third phone call was to Dave Pachoni at Black Market Records and as he picked up the phone he actually said to me I heard you lost your job I'll give you a job on Monday come and see me and you can start on Tuesday and I was like wow and that that well, we never what was back. the reason they fired you though because my understanding was that like you said like everybody used to come check you yeah I think I just got too big for the shop and, and I mean what does that even mean though I don't know uh, like, the, you know there was a hierarchy it's, there, it's there, 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 was, thing, a, there was another guy who, who was the manager there called Dave yeah. and I think he felt threatened at the time um, because everybody was coming to see me and not him right so it's the and, ego thing basically maybe and also it's a, it's a control thing you know like I mean that was the worst decision they ever did because yeah. the shop went bust yeah. and it ended and Greyhound went, went bust so Sometimes as one door closes, another one gets Absolutely. forced open. Yeah. And in some ways, it was the best thing that ever happened because me and Nicky and I were obviously competition and I didn't know who Nico D was. Yeah. And then obviously I was working upstairs, he was working upstairs and then suddenly we kicked the, the hip-hop guys out from downstairs and Jungle Drummer Bass was born. Not only that, Dubstep was born from downstairs. Yes. So that was an iconic time for music, you know. And um, and yeah, you know, like we fucking... I was, at, I was at the shop for 19 years. That's a long, That's a time, long time, time. Yeah. To, to work for a company uh, and see it change and change and change again. It's funny because I have certain... Every time I would go to England, I'd always come to Black Market. And I have certain records in my collection that were purchased at black market that are like I got certain Fotec records and certain you know, you know what I mean it's just funny that I, re I remember being all excited buying them there and coming back to Toronto to play them this kind of thing you know what I mean so it's funny I, when, I, when I heard the news that they were closing I, w I was I was you know I was like wow that's that's an end of an era because we have a store here called Platy Record that's fortunately is still open. Yeah, still, they moved. I, I've been to that shop many yeah. times because it was used to be on Young Street. Used to be on and Young now Street it's on, uh, it's on Spadina now. Spadina they moved, there, like, yeah. I think it's maybe three years ago or something. But that shop was that's the store that's our black market. Like that was the shop where everybody in Toronto, not what's, just what's the, the Chinese fella's name, Eugene. 
Eugene. He, he's he's uh he's Trini Chinese. Okay. Yeah, so he's hilarious. Yeah. Um but he knows his shit. Oh, he knows and he his knows shit. everybody. He knows everybody. Because I used everybody. to go there and I used yeah. to buy my records off of him. Yeah. And I used to ask him yeah. and he'd know. You know what I mean? Oh no, he knows. Listen, I could walk in there to this day and I grew up in that store. He know you know what I mean? I was there since I was 13, 14 years old. So and it's not just me, every DJ in Toronto, and not just German bass teachers, all the house guys, all the hip hop guys, including Drake, ev- everybody. We all play the record is where everybody got. Like they, we had a couple other stores. Obviously, there's always been competition, but his was the one that that like Marcus still here today, still here today which is amazing. Actually, you know, I should go there tomorrow before yeah. I leave. It's, it's, it's just a, up the street. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 so. I liken the black market closing to what if Play the Record closed. That's what it felt like to me. Even though you know my connection to black market is really as a tourist, you know. So I, I, when it closed, it was upsetting because I was like, wow, man, that's, that's deep. It was hard, you know, like, but then again, Nikki had already left, Clark had left, um, there was only me and Rachel and Ash left, and ev- everybody had left, do you know what I mean? And we were just hanging on and hanging in there, and there was a, a few discrepancies, like how the shop got taken over, and it wasn't working, and this, that, and the other. But, you know, everything has to come to an end, at some point, do you know what I mean? And I think um, if it's not looked after, that is. And, yeah. I, and I just think that um, it, it was it was a, it was an amazing era. Do you know what I mean? It was an amazing era. And funny enough, I don't think there's a lot of fucking pictures of it. No, which is really weird for something to be that iconic. It's it's not that very well documented. Do you no, know what I mean? There's, there's a video. few there's yeah. some videos of like. But I don't, you know, like I tried to Google some pictures the other day of Black Market and there's not that many on the net, you know what I mean? I got one from me outside of 2013. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, you know, it's funny you should say that because it's the whole, you know, not having the internet thing because recently I got a bunch of pictures from Music House and it blew me away because I was just like, wow. But it actually made, I was thinking about this today. It's funny you should say this. I was thinking about this today. Uh, I'm going to go back further in time. I want to talk about Rage. That's something that, you know, there aren't, to my knowledge, there aren't even any sets that exist recorded from Rage. It was one of them, you had to be there. Mm. So obviously you were one of the main guys there every week. I, f- I think like it was part teams. of our schooling, really. Well, that's what I wanted and, to and talk about. And that was really, if you were there, um, then you were part of history. Yeah. And also not part, just only part of history, but it's like you, you'd gone to church. Yeah. You went to get schooled up. You went to go and listen and you went to go and get ideas. And I think the younger generation need to do that more. They need to go and see people 100%, 100%. play. They need, to, they need to go and see how it works. Yeah. And they need to not have their head so buried in to what was going on. And it was nice because um, on Saturday, I went to go and see Mark System play. Yeah. And tech, Technomatic. Technomatic. Yeah. Uh, I didn't get to see a DLR play, but, but but DLR, I, I play some of his tunes in my he's set. Amazing, yeah. And um, he, he's a bad man. Yeah. And even when you listen to his production, he's like what I what I would say was Ed and Optical were like in 97. 100%. Um, yeah. And the good thing about when you're, you get to our age is you pay attention to detail because you listen. We're DJs at the end of the day. Um, um, I had someone say to me the other day, oh, I was quite surprised that you played uh, a bit uh, uh, industrial. And I suppose they say that that sound is industrial. But that means that you haven't really been schooled up because no. you're not, you know, a DJ will tell a story from the beginning to the middle 
to the end. You're supposed to be able to play everything within two hours. This is, That's what yeah. a real DJ does. One million percent. This is, it's my you, biggest you, gripe. Yeah, if you, you know? think you yeah. can just go in and play the same old fucking stuff um, and all the same shit, then that's some fake shit going no, on. Right I, so if you look yeah. at, and, and I say this with being very proud, the school that I come from, yeah, we mix records, we play records, and we make the records talk, join as one. Yeah. And let's not forget, you're quite a shit hot DJ because I've seen you play and you're very highly respected over I, here. I learned from the greats. I learned from you and Randall and But what Kenny. I'm saying to you is we're all in the same boat. So yeah. we all inspire each other to, thank you very much for that comment, to, to, to make that like DJs like you. Because when I was growing up, I was listening to Mr. C, yeah. Eva Lady Richards, Paul Trouble Anderson, and these guys were fucking DJs. Yeah. You know, Colin Hardy's is a good friend of mine. Yeah. And, um, you know, and when I listen to the tunes that they play, I'm like, it, it, it was an amazing time. And for anybody to get up there, to get behind those decks, and all right, the first tapes came out, they were a bit wobbly, yeah. we were a bit stoned, the monitors were fucked, but it wasn't even about the mixing, it was about the tunes. Exactly. You know, yeah. and the people would say, fuck me, did you hear that tune that my man lashed the other day? Listen, I... And like, sometimes you did fight it. Yeah, yeah. And fight the mix, but eventually it would go in, and you... And at that time, you were dealing with the MCs on the mic, you're dealing with a fucked up engineer, you're dealing with maybe the monitors fucked, the decks fucked. You know, to actually get up and perform is a huge thing. You, and, and you've got to give people props for that, yeah. whether you're male, female, if you've got the bollocks to get up there. I know there's a lot of trolling that people say are hit, you know, but it takes a lot of balls to get up and Always do what has. we do. Right? Well, you know, you know, and that's why, you know, you guys, your generation... The reason why all you guys are still here, yourself, Ryder, Fabs, Frost, Brian, Hype, Mickey, Kenny, Randall, etc., Goldie, Doc Scott, is you guys are strong characters to begin with. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but you, we so, love what we do. Of course, and that yeah. comes out. But the point is, is that, I, look, I don't want to sit here and say, oh, kids today this, but there's a, there's a noted difference. And it's what you were talking about earlier. Like, I, I don't, I very rarely hear new DJs that I really impress me. Most of them are amazing mixers because they all study Andy and they're trying... And that's amazing. That's great. But very few of them are selectors. The set's pre-planned. You can hear it. They're not watching the crowd. I could, if I play something, you know, 10 minutes before they go on and they're standing there, but that was their little tune that they wanted to mix, they're playing it anyway. We come from the school where that was, you know, you got hit with the ruler for that. That's... You don't do that. You know what I mean? Your whole point is you're Yeah, selective. but also there's a... Um, it's like when Mark's system went on last night, I played a couple of left field tunes before he went on. Absolutely. So, you so, you, so yeah. you show your respect and yeah. also I'm bringing it down for him exactly. so he can pick it right back up. Because I've had fucking two hours of or an hour and a half of fun. Yeah. And that's where... And I like Mark. I really like Mark. And that's, I actually watched the whole of his set. It's amazing. And I, I, I found it very inspiring because it's nice to... And I said to him yesterday, I went, you know what? I didn't think um, 30 years on that your interpretation or Deepridge's interpretation or technomatics interpretation would have gone this far. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. their expression of it is 
it, it is is a different interpretation of what we started with, but it's a beautiful thing because it's everybody's personality that comes out in the music. And I think that's very important, you know. And that's what I'm saying. All of us still love what we do. It's, it's, a, it's an art form. It's a craft. Yeah. Um, and you're not always going to be popular. No. And you just got to hang on to what you believe in and play the music that you love. Let's, let's talk about that because, look, for the highs, there's the lows. Everyone's had it throughout their career. Obviously, you know, look, black market closing, you could say that's a low. There's been points in the music. I know even for me, there was points in the music where throughout the history of it, I was like, man, I got 20 tunes in my box right now that I like and everything else I hate. And there's other times, you know, where it's, there's a fat, like right now is really, really good. I think you would agree. We're finally back to having sort of the full spectrum of everything being good. Again, you can pick pick everything and pick make a set, you know what I mean? But was has it is there been any noted points for you where you felt like I'm not having as much fun with this anymore as I used to or yeah I think your personal life comes into it for sure yeah. you know my mum died my dad died um, I got married I got divorced you know shit happens yeah. health issues happen and I think it's all part of life, you know. It's and 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 it's the way you you adapt yourself and what you believe in. You know, I like everything. To me, it's all jungle. I don't care if it's Logan D. I don't care if it's Spectra Soul. I don't care if it's Bookham. Yeah. I don't care if it's Terry T. Or if it's um, potential bad boy. If the tune's running, I'm playing it. You know, to me, it's all jungle. And I am there to represent the 360 degrees of it. So when I come out and when I come abroad, you're going to hear everything. That's, you, you've, uh, that's one of my favorite things about you. You've always been a selector. Because uh, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Some guys just play. I don't rate that. I rate. And that's okay. So I'm going to talk about the first time. The first time that you came to Toronto was for Utopia. It was in 96. It was Darren J, Nikki, and you. Now, it's funny because I think we sort of have, we look back at 96 now and we look at all those iconic tunes that came out from that era. But for those of us that were there, we forget that, okay, yeah, 96, we had the whole Blue, uh, Blue Note Metalheads era. You had Speed and everything Bookham and Fabio were doing and all these tunes that have really stood the test of time. But what was being played in the Rays was more like, I remember there was like, Players was really big. And there was a Nikki's label, Cartoons. He had that uh, tune with Trend, the TNT. So that was really what was being played in the Rays. And you came now to this event. And I remember this was the first time you played Metropolis. I heard Dillinger Threshold. And you played Dark Soldier. I think you, you might have even played all three in a row. If I, and I just remember it was a moment because I was like, yo, this doesn't sound like the other stuff that I'm hearing. This doesn't sound like all this bouncy, jumpy stuff, which was fine. It's not that I didn't like it. But you came and you schooled us. I think I think at the end of the day, we're just DJs that that sought after the different side, the underground side of yeah. what's going on. Yeah. I'm, I've always been, but you've always represented the whole spectrum for me. Like, I've, yeah, I, I just think, and you know, like all of that music, it all, you know, it's like now, you know, I play everything, yeah. a bit of everything, yeah. and I, and you're playing the best of, and I think those tunes anyway stood out because they were different. Mm -hmm. You know, and they, and it was a different moment in time. There was there was a rough and smooth, like everything. Yeah. There's stuff that gets played, that's commercial, that's popular, and then there's the stuff that sits underneath. And I think that's most of where we're drawn to is the underneath now. But there's guys like like yourself, Groove, obviously, Brian, obviously, and Frost, and Doc Scott. You guys, 
I would say you took more chances with your selection in terms of you weren't afraid, you know, a guy like you, a guy like Randall, a guy like, a guy like uh, uh, Doc Scott, you guys weren't afraid to stand up there and, you know, maybe possibly bring the dance floor down a little bit just because you knew you could get him back on the next tune. Yeah, I you think that's I mean? the risk of DJing. I think you are. But a lot of guys don't safe. take those risks anymore. They play safe, and that's what I'm. That's what I'm. I feel like the last few years, it's starting to change now. A lot of DJs, especially with this whole big festival thing and all this, they're playing too safe. Whereas you know. Oh, listen! I went to fucking um, Boomtown and I fucked it up over there. <laughs> I was like, but I, I. That's how I play, you know. And yeah. and we learned from people like Fabio and Groove Rider is just. You know, I mean, I remember them saying to us, just keep doing what you're doing. Don't do anything different. And they encouraged us to do that. Yeah. And that was, we carry on that legacy from them. You know, and I think now we've grown into being artists. Then we were just young puppies trying to just look for what we were, you know, we, we, we were searching for stuff. And we've grown into established artists where we found ourselves. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, I give thanks. I mean... It's quite emotional sometimes when I play now and I'm playing to a thousand or five hundred people and I'm just thinking, fuck, I get these moments of like, fuck, I'm still here doing what I'm doing and looking at the crowd going crazy, thinking, what, who is this Grandmaster Jedi on the decks <laughs> with, the, with the white beard? Who the fuck is he? And I'm like, because it's like three or four generations down the line. It really is. And, and even when I took my granted. daughter to, um, uh, I took her to Bestival with me this year, uh -huh. we both fell in the mud. And it's really weird seeing your kids, um, even my eldest son and, and my daughter, um, she was looking at me and she was like looking at me as if to say, she, the way she was looking at me was like to, as if to say, yeah, you're doing good, dad. <laughs> and, and she's like, and then, she, and then she looked at me and it was like the look of, Hey, yeah, you're, you're kind of all right, you know, Dad, because she was looking at the crowd because it's the first time she's seen me play and we both fell in the mud, uh, bless her. And we had a fucking... that I've I got to say, like, she rode shotgun with me and by the time I drove home, she was asleep. But the, the whole journey there, it was just a whole different vibe you know like i was listening to her because she's got her iphone just plugged into the car i'm listening to grime yeah. on the way up there and all her american hip-hop because she's 16 years old That's her hilarious. taste yeah. is totally different to me and she's listening to like she introduced me to cardi b mm -hmm. and and i'm like okay cool and, I, and I'm, <laughs> I'm digging all this new music you know what's hilarious i had a family dinner yesterday and i have two little cousins they're nine and thirteen and they were singing word for word the Cardi B uh, Bodak Yellow. But yep. the funny thing was, is they were singing word for word, but they had to, I guess they were told or taught, they weren't saying any of the curse words. They weren't saying any of the words you're not supposed to say. They were, they were literally like, do the lyric and <laughs> yeah. stop. And, then do, <laughs> do the and they were in unison. And my yeah. dad, my dad's 76. And my dad's like, what the hell are they doing? I said, dad, it's a big song right now. He's like, and then of course, you know, oh, my, that's not a, that's garbage in my day. You know, and it was a, it was a funny moment, but it's hilarious that you say that. Cause I was sitting there and I was like, how is it? This, this kid's nine years old and he's word for word rapping. But the, Cardi but, B. but the beautiful thing about that is it's all changed now. You know, we don't sell records. We're not even downloading now. If you download a tune worldwide, it's four or five hundred maybe sales. It's now everyone streams. That's how yeah. people now uh, listen to music. They don't own music. They just no. stream Which music. Which for us is weird, definitely. Yeah, we but I think you've got, just got to be able to embrace it. And I think that's what I'm saying to you is, you know, music 
has no age as long as you can I mean look at David Bowie man yeah. you know like the guy's a genius and I think at the end of the day um, the more music you can accumulate people like Quincy Jones that are still constantly making music that have worked with some of the great artists and what all it does is it just helps you to have a, a bank and, and a bigger bank uh, of what's going on. I mean, I can't talk too much about it, but I'm quite excited for next year because I'm just working on my album at the moment and everyone's going to be quite shocked to see what comes out in the next few months. I look, well, you had that EP, the Dub Dread EP, I think it was, maybe. Yeah, like I mean, I've, I've made about a thousand yeah. tracks that nobody's heard yeah. that, that, that are dance floor tracks and right. I've just kind of stock and accumulated them. And as, as an engineer... Um, they're just you know you, you might make 50 tunes to get to that one yeah. do you know what I mean yeah. but that last EP done well I, a lot of people love it and it's kind of classic for Keith if you like it is I mean you have a, you have an iconic sound there's no question you've influenced an entire generation of producers thank I mean, you all, very much all these we call it the Ray Keith sample pack guys and there's it's a good thing and a bad thing you've provided them you did all the hard work for them like I mean you know I remember when I used to try my hand it was it would drive me nuts just trying to get the quality and stuff so you've given you a lot of producers now they have the tools that you guys worked hard to create and uh some of them are taking it to the next level and others are being lazy with it but we call them the reiki sample pack producers but that's a testament to your legacy i mean i think the thing about it is uh, you know knowledge is wisdom isn't it yeah. if if we didn't do what we done um then it's always going to be thin it's always going to be weak and there's not going to be no fatness out of it. And now you see, uh, you know, th these guys coming through um, and they are using it to great advantage. There's a lot of house DJs that use our shit. Yeah. And I think all the guys that we're bringing through with the sample packs, um, Fleck, um, Hybrid, um, Electric Blue, uh, she hasn't even released anything yet. Uh, even when Mr. Explicit done his and Blade Runner done his and I've done a couple now I think it helps because it at least at least they know the levels and they actually some of the time is being saved so they can actually fucking write because they've already got the beats they've got, they've got the weight trying to find the weight is the hardest thing so I think in some ways yeah it's like anything you know some people are going to be lazy and just I've heard tunes that's like hang on a minute, that's the bass and that's the sample. But yeah. you know what? Some Everybody's got to start from somewhere. Absolutely. When I heard Serum and when I heard Blade Runner, they were far from where they are today. Yeah. But I, I, that little bit that I heard in them, I was like, fuck, these boys are going to be big. Their first couple of releases, I lost money on them. Yeah. And I think that's the risk that you've got to take. And it's an investment. You know what I mean? 100%. 100%. You know, like, uh, there's a young guy at the moment, Stevie Payne, who's just done a remix of Something I Feel, which sounds fucking banging. Wow. Um, you know, T.I.'s done a remix of um, Renegade Terrorist. I did, is, I did hear that. It's, it's, listen, T.I. is one of the bad un man. most underrated guys right now. Yeah. yeah but before was, that, no, his no. name was Perception. And, and uh, he was a producer for 10 years. See, I didn't know that. But what I'm saying is... Is PA, is P-A-T-I as well? No, PA is, is um, uh, uh, tight and dread on my label. That's one of uh, uh, DJ Escape's boys okay, uh, from I, Birmingham. I, and he's a bad man as I well. I was playing that EPU. I just, for whatever reason, I don't know why, yeah, I no, thought that was T.I. Uh, and, he, and he's a, you know, but we, uh, just like Marga Man, you know, these guys Listen, are gems. I told you yesterday, 
Searching is one of the biggest tunes on row right now. Yeah. It was Marcus, Marcus Visionary. He said, Brad, listen, you got to hear this tune, this Margaman thing, because he's been on Bad him. Boy, yeah. And he hurt, he hurt me with that tune, and now I play it every set. You, Thank you, you very got, much. You but, you know, we're, you know, I've been a and ring for a lot of, many, many years, and, um, and I still love it. And we've got a shitload of new music coming out. Dub Dread 6 is looking good for next year. I've been working on my album uh, for next year as well which I'm, I'm very excited about. And yeah, it's, you know, music just keeps us going, man. You know what I mean? What about, uh, I, need, I need some digital copies of some of the classics, man. I was looking through my records. And <laughs> I really, really, really need Sal's theme. I was yeah, I've, I've actually got everything now on, um, I'm converting from DAT onto um, uh, WAV. Yeah. So whatever you need, just I need Sal's theme. Yeah, I, <laughs> actually, I listened to that the yeah, other day, man. That was, was a banger. Listen, I think listen. I came on tour one of the years and I played that one of the. That's bars. why no, that's why that's why it hurts me so much because I, yeah. I think it was that turbo you played that and I remember I was like, oh, he, I it was when I heard it I was like, see that's Ray hearing Phantom Force and be like, yeah, okay, watch this, bang, <laughs> and he, with the Tears for Fear sample, I just killed it. That was a big tune in Toronto, like back, what say two thousand two ish. You know, you say, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of other tunes. I mean, I'm known for a lot of tunes, yeah. but there's a lot of tunes that were underground tracks, oh, even remixes listen, that were underground you, that you kind of people of, missed. I have a lot of favorites. I used to, uh, Your Dub on, on the, I think it was the, what album was that? It was one of the albums. You had that track with the Frankie Knuckles. Yeah, the, yeah I used that was to a big one. Yeah. That tune. I used to can't, and I, it used to hurt me because you know, you used to come all the time and Brian used to come all the time and Frost used to come all the time. And they all used they're to just play just chaining the dubs and I'd be like, oh, fuck's sakes. And but they were the first two. I'd, and they, yeah. they're always yeah. the first ones. Uh, Fabio, Ryder, Frost and Brian, Randall and Kenny. Yeah. Um, and and uh, they were the, always the first ones. And then I used to give to Darren and, and Mickey. And they were, they were the first people I would service with my tracks. Yeah, and it's true, because most of the times when I hear your tracks the first time, it wasn't from you. It would be from usually Brian, Brian Frost, Frost or Groove. Yeah, yeah usually. They used to hurt me up with tune. I'd be like, oh, Brian, what's that? Oh, it's Ray. When, and I'd even, I wouldn't even ask. Just, <laughs> All right, next year I'll get that one. You know what I mean? But so, yeah, Your Dub, Silly Games. You had that Dread Jungle Techno. used to play that one. Um, Obi-Wan, yeah. Brutal. Just so many, like your, your discographies. And then, dude, the remixes, like when I was saying, when I used to remember every week, I used to buy the, okay, I got a tune I got to ask you about. I've been trying, it took me, first of all, it took me 20 years just to figure, find out that it was you. And you know when it's one of them ones, like see earlier you were saying that Lemon engineered uh, Dark Soldier and then it just clicks, you're like, oh fuck, that makes sense. There was a tune on that, that, that Randall played on an AWOL tape that I, I hold close to my heart. And, um, it was one of the ones where, see, we grew up on tapes here, right? So for a lot of us guys here, our thing in Toronto for us was you, those tapes, there were certain tapes. We have, there's a Fabio tape that we all used to have. There's this particular Randall tape. There was the first time Kenny Ken came here. And for a lot of us guys that were around then, it was sort of a thing where we would try to get every record that was played on that. And in some cases, I'm still get. it takes me 20 years to source them out. So there's this one particular track on a Randall tape. It, I only found out about two years ago that it was you that did it. And when, when, when I found out it was you, I, went, I listened to it. And I was like, of course it's Ray. Of course it's fucking Ray. You could hear it. Anyway, it was a remix. It never came, to the best of my knowledge, it never came out. It was a remix for uh, the underdogs, which was with Basement Phil, I think. It was called, the track was called Out. It was just one of them ones, man. I, I even have the clip to play you afterwards. It was... Uh, I don't even remember it. It was... 
Randall used to play it. Randall's the only person I ever heard play it. it was, Next time you give me music and I'll play it for him. Uh, no, I, I brought the clip. I'm gonna play I mean, it there's a lot of things that I did that never came out. And um, I'm only just recently now, we're repressing some of the original stuff. Um, actually, we're doing a repress of... Um, June. I saw that. I'm um, buying one. I saw yeah. Releases. Yeah. 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 I saw no, that. No, but they're actually, what I've done is, so it safeguards the original. It actually says repress and reissue. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to be one of 500. Just yeah. so the people that didn't get it the first time round. No, I'm buying it. The, I'm the, buying June the, for they, 100%. The, they, get, yeah. they get a chance to get it. And then we're going to. I mean, shit, I've even bootlegged myself. You know what I mean? Like, I've, uh, I don't give a fuck. Someone done a remix, and the next thing you know, it was out on road. Because I was like, well, fuck it. If, you know, if you can bootleg yourself, why not? Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're going to make some PR. I mean, yeah, some, some, you had that. There's so many, like, your remixes are enormous. I mean, I bet you probably, you had the Scotty remix in 94. That was, hurt me. You had... One of my favorite mixes of yours also never really properly came out. You did a remix of the Fotec Mark II. It was on some weird CD compilation album. And I had to go buy the CD just to get rip it. I'd so like I could to play hear it. that because I can't even remember what it sounds like. I'll send it to you. That'd be blessed. I'll send it to you. It was on one of those. Well, Fotec's one of, one of my boys. I mean, we grew up. He, I was introduced to him from a very good friend of mine called Solomon who did Origination Tune, right? That was his oh, boy. He, well, I thought Fotec was part of Origination, was mm, he not? Well, yeah. I think he engineered that. Right. Um, but basically, my friend Solomon, God bless him, from Ipswich, that was his boy. And he, he said to me, Ray, you need to listen to this guy because he's, he's something totally different. Well, he engineered a couple of your tracks. Yeah, the, from back I, in the day. Uh, the Roddy remix on V. Uh, what was this track called? Physical. Uh, yeah, he did. Uh, did he do that? Or did Gavin do that? Yeah, he might have done that, actually. I can't remember. But, I mean, R Rupert and myself, we were very tight, and now, uh, now he lives in L.A. But, you know, we all started together. That's what I'm saying to you. When I heard him, and I just thought to myself, shit, <laughs> this kid's fucking... Yeah. He's unbelievable. He and even the way he was chopping his shit up then, and how he was interpreting... Uh, the music I was just like this guy's gifted so I took him to Phil because I knew he wanted to set up his label there oh wow I didn't know that see yeah a lot of them came crazy. through me originally yeah. well which it's I funny because I remember Fotec was one of the ones that you were one of the main dub guys because I some of the first certain Fotec tunes the first person I would play it was you you know but you know he went on it's about giving back and he went on he found Source Direct yeah and each as each door opens for that artist, that artist will open up a door. Well, he brought through. I digital mean, now, well. now, if you look at it, this guy Benny L, yeah. you know, he's he's yeah. blown up, yeah. and he's he's gonna, you know. But like I said, he's a byproduct of Serum, Blade Runner, you know, because uh, and Voltage, because they're all running now. You know, it's like a pack of wolves, and it's great to see because they're all got this competition between them yeah. and their interpretation of how it goes and how it's got coming through. Do you know what I mean? Well, that goes back to what you were talking about earlier about going to rage and getting inspired. And what, you know, that it's true because it, you need... One of my biggest, big gripes I have with a lot of the young guys that I see is everybody's too cool to go to a party. And when they do go to the party, they're backstage. It's like, no, man, you need to be in the center of the dance floor. I don't even care if you don't like the DJ. Listen to him. Because you're going to learn something and you're going to hear something that's going to well, inspire I think you. That, you see, I, I still go out yeah. and um, I still listen and I, I, I'll go to dances and people will be like, well, what, 
why are you on this side? I'm like, because I'm like you. I want to have a little I dance. Yeah. I mean, straight after we left um, uh, that club that uh, Mark System was at, what Colder. was the club called? Colder. Colder. Yeah. Before it was called Annex, right? We, I it played was Annex. There. Yeah. yeah. So we, we stayed there for a couple of hours. We left there and we went to go and see Danny Taganelli play at the Nest. At Nest, yeah. And... Um, Fuck me, it was hot in there, man. It was packed. Yeah. And we were listening to, you know, him. And that's what I'm saying. you got to get out and have a listen. 100%. I mean, when I was listening to Mark's system, I saw him last night and I went, I said, there's a, I said, see this tune? You played it the other day and uh, the other night. And it had like this high frequency synth. And he went, oh, I took it from a house record. And he went, I'll send that to you. But there's certain frequencies that you tap into yeah. that you can just hear and I just thought I thought to myself yeah that's a fucking really nice track and I did like the way that he played you know um, and like I said to you great producers and He's, DJs listen to other yeah, producers I, I, and DJs it's, it's, it, it boggles my mind because I just all I see is people living on the internet and you're not experiencing the music the way it's meant to be experienced so someone for example who's only listening to this music on the internet might listen to one of your older tunes which is doesn't have this big twisted top bass is everything subs your music had to be heard in a club right so they could listen to it oh that's rubbish it's not fucking rubbish you're listening to it on your iphone that's not rubbish to go out and hear it the way it's meant to be heard but i think that's part and parcel of their own destiny and their own fault is because they're not going to progress and i think the ones that want to progress then you see the difference do you know what i mean and i I think if you want to you know that you're either fake or you're true. There's yeah. there's there's no two ways to do it now. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I like the way the uh, Technomatic guys were playing, you know, and you could see that he was really into his DJing. But, you know, you look at Friction, and Friction is, is a is a DJ that knows how to DJ. I mean, yeah. he started with us back in the day. I remember we were playing in Ibiza and he fucking had to do the five to six set. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Everybody fucking left and fucked off. Gotta cut your teeth, man. I, I used to play nine to 10 and I'd stay hope to the end of the race no one show up and I'd play fucking five to six in the morning again. That was me cutting my teeth. You had to do that shit. That was, uh, was thankful. But, but I think going back to the days of rage, going back to, it's great to go out mm-hmm. and I think now more so more people are starting to go out and maybe listen to other DJs you know I've been out a few times uh, over the last few months I've gone to see Randall play I've gone to see Brocky play I've gone to see Brian play I've gone to see Frost play Ryder you know I want to go and have a fucking listen do yeah, you know what I mean exactly it's important it's, yeah. it, because we're you know the idea of calling it a scene means that it's a community of sorts that mm. we feed off each other mm. You can't just be an isolated island. You have to get up and know every. But I just I get that vibe a lot with a lot of newer guys. They're they're too cool. Call armchair it's and that's what they are. You know. I mean, it's 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 like I don't know what if it's a, a chip on the shoulder thing, a ego thing. I don't know what it is. But I just, just think it's, I just wrong, uh, you know you what know? what I've noticed about the youth is it's very expendable. Yeah. You know, it's here today, gone tomorrow. Yeah. So I think the ones that really want a career out of it. They're the ones that are investing their time into it because there's they know there's longevity. Absolutely, and, like and the thing is, is you have to commend because now more so than ever, there's even sort of less of a prospect of having a bright financial future. Let's say doing this, you have to you're doing this because you know you love it. It's within you. You need to yeah. do this. You know, I remember myself. You know, I, like you said, we all, we all have our ups and downs. There was a period where where I was like, man, the music's shit right now. I'm not even, and I'm not making any money. So why am I doing this? You know. And I, even me, I had to kind of take a break. But then 
you hear a couple tunes and then you just fucking pulled you back in, you know? Phone rings a couple times, yeah, I'll come out and DJ and the next thing you know, you're right back in it, you know what I mean? But it's, for, for a kid now coming in, yeah, the, the odds are stacked against him to, to make a life out of it, but at the same time, if they're going to do it, listen, man, you, gotta, you guys set the groundwork as far as the passion that's needed and even the sacrifice, you know? Like, it, it, it's your life. It's, you, you've, you, well, you, we don't know anything different, do yeah. we? I mean, I, I'm lucky. I've got some... I'm, I'm learning how to be a boxing coach now, which is great. Yeah. I've got something else separate from, from doing music and stuff. And um, I've got a separate outlet. But I'm enjoying making music and playing out and doing the radio show. Do you find that because you have the boxing and stuff, it actually makes you enjoy it when you go back to music more? I, I, per, I just t took a, um, a lifestyle change yeah. where I less is more for me. Yeah. I'm only doing four or five shows a month. I'm happy doing that. Um, and I'm just saying that's not for everyone, you know, yeah. because that's... You know, people got to pay bills. Yeah. Um, but for me, I wanted to do something different. I really enjoy the coaching, putting something back, helping people. Um, and that's something that I really like. Whilst I've been out, I've been hanging out with Dylan and Drew, and I went to a, a couple, uh, like a fight uh, show that was going on. So that was great. And I just think for me, it's just a different aspect. You know, I'm, I'm older now. My, my priorities is, is, is my health is my wealth mm -hmm. do you know what I mean and yeah. I think um, and um, and for me right now making music I'm enjoying it more that's than my ever. point yeah I, yeah I find that I'm enjoying DJing more than I was even five years ago yeah you know because I, I think I'm, I'm spiritually mentally um physically in, in a better space and I think that and also being happy I think that's yeah. that's the key yeah. if you can be happy and have your health fuck me that's better than winning the lottery man everything else is a bonus do you know what I mean we gotta talk about the Radar show because in, in many ways Radar was a big move because it's it's you know the station of the youth in, in London right now it's, it's like the new Rinse FM essentially that's what it reminds me of when I look at it there's, there's Radar, there's NTS, there's those couple little spots that seem to be what Rinse felt like 10 years ago, you know? So how how did that come about? Like, because it, it Well, I've got to thank my friend um, from Sony, Andrew, um, and I've got to thank um, my two bosses. One is Ollie, who, who actually owns the station, and the other, uh, other guy is uh, Gavin uh, D. Um, he actually used to have his own show on uh, Radio 1 and 1 Extra. He was one of the biggest R&B um, uh, DJs on there, but gave up his career to help people set up radio stations. He worked at Represent. He left Represent. He was headhunted and he went to Radar. And then basically they headhunted me and asked wow. me to do the Blueprint show and just bring on guests. And really and truly doing the whole Facebook thing live... Um, it's just turned into something else now. So it's probably one of the biggest shows on the internet and everybody tunes in. But it's a blessing, you know, because I know everybody and I'm a fan as well. So yeah. when the guests are coming on, I get to ask them all the questions that I oh, want yeah, to I ask just, them. I, and it's crazy because yeah. I'm finding out shit like you're finding out shit. Yeah, like, yeah, really? Yeah. You know, like I'm, sometimes I'm shocked. I'm like, I didn't know you made that tune. Yeah. And it's live as well. And like, people are like, really? Fuck. I, I, I listen all the time. I really enjoy, yeah, I, I enjoyed the Doc Scott show a lot. I enjoyed the Randall show. I mean, I'm big fans of them the same way I'm a fan of yours. So I really enjoyed those shows. But I, it was... It's great because Radar is really 
like I said, it's a youth station, and, and you have like this, you know, you're an elder statesman of sorts. It's, it's a really cool dynamic. Well, it's 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 nice to to have been asked, and I've been on the show, I've been on the radio now for two years. Yeah. When we first started, uh, Radar has just had been going a year. Yeah. Uh, they're three years old now, but they're making moves, and I and it's a blessing, man. You know what I mean? Like I give thanks to my Radar family, and I give thanks to all all the. Um, the guests that are coming on and the guests that we've got coming on and it's a great Friday, great way to start the weekend I don't know should we even leave it at th- I had a lot of other questions though, I mean about certain we're tunes and whatnot. Right 90 minutes right now alright 90 minutes yeah. okay I gotta do one more back in the day story one more because this, this is a funny one uh, this is one of those sort of jungle urban legends that has never been verified if it's just talked about is it this is is this true that uh, you had your car broken into and a whole bunch of moving shadow dats stolen from your car and you had to call uh, like there's a rumor that there's a promo version of Lord of the Null Lines that has an answering scene message of you calling Rob Playford saying yeah listen my car's been broken into and uh, they took my records Do you know what? and they took I think my I was really stoned that day <laughs> and um, I did have my car broken into and I think you're right I was in Birmingham and I did have a bunch of dats but they never came out so they're either in someone's yard or uh, so the story's true yeah it was a, it was a, a I legend I think if my memory serves me right I was outside around the corner from the institute they broke into my Peugeot I had to fucking drive back to London freezing because it was raining as well. Um, and I tried to put some plastic bag or something up on there. But yeah, and the, and I did leave a message to say that there was dats in the car and they'd got stolen. Apparently, I've been looking on Discogs, apparently there's a like a test press version of the Lord of the Null Lines remix that you did. Remember the one you did and Randall was on the other side, the 10-inch? Yeah, maybe. They, apparently, they they pressed the 10-inch on a 12-inch. I'll, so I'll tell you who could degree. verify that. I, I posted up a picture of those three nutcases today. It's too bad mice. There you because go. Because he, he would know. I'll phone Simon in the week. But listen, we can we can always do part two because I'm coming back, man. We're gonna, go, right. I'm going to come back and do a show next year with these guys. So, yeah, definitely. I'll come up again. Next time, we'll do a little hour special. Like in the mix or something. Yeah, we got to play the tunes and oh, talk yeah, about we them. Yeah, you to stream from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll we do gotta, it Because I got, I got, like I said, I got hundreds of tunes that I wanted to ask you about just for my own personal enjoyment because I'm, I'm, I'm uh, obsessed like that. But that's just me. But we won't bore people with the details. So I think, I think we've covered some ground here. Other than that, all right. So there's a Ray Keith album coming at some point. Yeah, there's a Ray Keith album coming. Dub Dread Six is coming. Blade Runner's album's coming. Um, we've got a whole heap of. Uh, releases we've got um, the section boys are up next with an EP I've got um, deploy electric blue um, fuck we've got a whole heap of artists Canadians. coming huh Canadians oh yeah we've got hungry tea on uh, the uh, dub dread six okay um, so yeah we you know we're still signing music what I've decided to do I think with the dub dread six to get stuff out quicker is all the st- artists that we sign that have got one tunes or two, two tunes 
we're going to put them on the Dub Dread Sixes because they're digital, yeah. so we can get more people on there. So between, I think it's working out something like between thirty-five and fifty tracks digitally. Oh wow! That's um, pretty good. Right. So okay. so that's what I'm hoping to do now is so we can get. Well, I'll more watch shit. the inbox. I'll watch the inbox. Yeah. So it. just like we did with the Marga Man, it came yeah. out in two pieces. Yeah, yeah. You know, like too many albums. So there's lots of music, um, rather than trying to cut shit down actually he's got a sampler coming out on vinyl as well so what we're trying to do is we'll we'll put out something and then we'll put a sampler of the best of yeah. on vinyl for for the avid vinyl collectors so mm -hmm. watch out for that and there's more Marga Man music coming as well there should be more Marga Man music coming yeah hopefully um, we're, we're going to talk to some of the artists we've, obviously we've got the Dub J6 which is coming out I've just done a compilation album for Jungle Cakes as well okay. so that's that's looking good that's coming out in January we're doing a tour with them uh, bigging up Ed Solo and Decline all those boys over there so we're doing some parties with them watch out for the Blueprint we're back next year we've got some big parties coming up and uh, yeah I've just sorted out loads of uh, dread recordings threads um, dread threads really the merchandise so we've got shitload of like I've just been working on it because I wanted it to be really nice and yeah, proper yeah, yeah. Uh, and we've got some some great stuff coming out so yeah firing on all cylinders my brother that's all that's all I can ask for man listen you, you've uh, like you said you, you, the past is the past but now it's about right now without a doubt and thank you very much Toronto for having me once again, Canada, we love you. North America, we love you. And I'll be back sometime next year, my brother. Uh, good to see you, Ray. God bless you, my friend. Won't be as long next time. Yeah, you too, brother. Wicked. Wicked.